You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. That gets me going every time. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome to Kingsway. We're glad you're here today. If you're visiting at home online, welcome. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, as Christine already told you, we do have a guest speaker for today, but I want to set him up real quick. So we're going through a book called Goliath Must Fall. It's a book written by Louis Giglio a few years ago. We, uh, we bought, I think, over 200 copies of the book. You guys have all uh, taken those copies. So we ordered some new ones and something went wrong with the distribution. They won't be here till this week. So if you would still like one, you could pick one up midweek. Just come by the, uh, the office and we'll make sure you get a copy of the book. Obviously, you can go to Amazon without us, but uh, we just got them to help you out. So what we're doing today is we're taking the chapters out of order just a little bit, uh, in part because of one of the goals that we have as a church is we want to keep raising up leaders, and I want to keep bringing in speakers who have an expertise in an area that's going to be beneficial to you. And today will be no different. And so today I have my friend, Justin White. Justin and I went to college together. And uh, if you have been in this area for any length of time, you may know Justin. He grew up going to Plainfield Christian Church. And uh, Justin has a story to share, and I don't want to share his story for you. But uh, Justin's been through some stuff, and today's going to be his testimony in struggling with addiction. And here's what I know. Uh, Addiction hits a lot of homes. And addiction looks like many different things. It may look like opioids. It may look like alcohol. It may look like um, pornography or something else. It may look like an obsession with social media. It can look like a number of different things. But what we want to do is we want to get to the root of it, and we want to kill it, and we want to raise a new life in Jesus Christ. In fact, when we get baptized, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. It's about going into the waters and dying in there and raising to new life. And what I want to do is bring Justin up here, and you're going to go crazy for a minute and just make him feel really welcome, and not yet. <clears throat> and the reason I want Justin to come up here is because I want you to hear that this is a battle that you will have to fight over and over again for the rest of your life. And the reason I want you to hear that is I want you to hear the hope in that. Jesus at the cross crucified our old selves, but we still have to walk in new life. In this chapter on addiction, Louis Giglio uses the analogy of Lazarus. And Jesus called Lazarus to new life, but he still had to unwrap him from the wrappings that he was in. And that is true for a lot of us today. So for just a moment, no, can you just like put aside all the guilt, all the shame, all the condemnation, all the voices that you've heard in your head or others have spoken over you. And for just a moment, can you open up your ears and hear, open up your eyes and see that God loves you and he has a better plan for your life. Now, would you join me in giving Justin White a warm Kingsway welcome. Well, good morning, Kingsway. It is really, really good to be here this morning. Thank you so much for the invitation to share. And before I say anything else this morning, can I just say I am a Matt Nickerson fan? Aren't you a Matt Nickerson fan? I mean, we were, we were as he said, we were uh, students together at Cincinnati Christian University like over 20 years ago. I cannot believe it was over 20 years ago at this point. Kind of acquaintances back then, but just in the last few months. Uh, we, we've kind of gotten reconnected, and I am so glad um, I, I, I did. He blesses my life. I know he blesses your life. You know, when, when the disciples went to Jesus and they said, hey, what's, what's the most important thing we can be doing? And Jesus said, love God and love people. 
And, and, and I find that I do best when I'm around other people that love God and love people. And Matt Nickerson is one of those guys for me. I wanna draw nearer to him. So thankful for him. I'm thankful for Kingsway Christian Church uh, and the incredible things that, that, that you all have done as a body of believers over decades of time. I remember, as Matt said, I grew up in Plainfield and so came over uh, to vacation Bible school here when I was a kid. Um, I remember going to... Um, um, uh, drug House Odyssey. Uh, yeah. Were any of you ever involved with that? I mean, this is years ago. Yeah, I remember coming, standing cold October nights, but that was so powerful and impactful in my life. And uh, so just thankful for what Kingsway Church is doing, not only in this community, but all around the world to impact lives for Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm gonna start this morning just with a question. And it's, it, it's really a question that I assume many of you have asked before. And the, and the question is this, have you ever been at that place in your life where things didn't go necessarily as you had hoped or things didn't go quite like you thought they would and there's some broken pieces and some hurts and some pains and some struggles and you look around at your life and you, you ask yourself, how did I get here? Like, how did this happen to me? How did I get here. For 10 years, I served just down the street as an associate minister at Plainfield Christian Church. And then in 2011, I was called to become the senior minister at First Christian Church in Columbus, Indiana. And we answered that call. We went to Columbus. We loved that city. Um, we loved that, that church. Me and my, my wife, Michelle, my three kids, we were enjoying a really great season in life. And then in 2014, so three years in, I started to develop some headaches. And they were sort of like migraines, and so I went to my doctor finally, and he put me on a few uh, medications, a few prescriptions. And one of those medications he gave me to try was hydrocodone, or Vicodin. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I, I had been prescribed Vicodin before for minor procedures, and honestly, always kind of liked the way that those pills made me feel. Um, but I was also, also was able to just stop taking them when I was supposed to. But this time was different. When I took those first two pills, I wanted the whole bottle. And basically, that's, that's what I did. Over the next few days, I took all the pills in that bottle, and I felt great. The problem was, I got another headache, and I didn't have any more pills. And so what did I do? I called my doctor. I told him I, I had run out of pills, and, and I needed some, some more, and he wrote me a prescription for more. And I, I went through that bottle and I called him again. I said, I think I need some more. And so he wrote me another prescription. And this pattern continued for about six months. I would go through that, that, that prescription pretty quickly, more quickly than I should have. I would call my doctor and he would give me another one and even up the dosage along the way. Well, six months later, and after having used pain pills uh, every day, along with another daily prescription for Xanax, I was hooked. And the problem was my prescription wasn't cutting it anymore. <clears throat> At the same time, I had met another young man in Columbus who had a drug problem. And in the midst of our conversation, I shared with him that I thought I had become hooked to my pain pills as well. And what happened next led me to a crossroads. He told me that he knew a guy in Columbus that had extra pain pills and that if I wanted more, I could buy them from him. You know, in our journeys of life, we all have some moments that we wish we could go back and redo. 
I got plenty of them. I'm gonna share some of mine with you today. Um, I, I'm, I, I assume some of you have those moments as well. I wish I could go back and do that moment differently. I wish at that moment I would have been honest with my wife, honest with my doctor, honest with the elders at my church, honest with myself, and, and said, you know what, I, I need some help. I, I, I've become reliant on these things and, and I need some help. I didn't do that. I had too much pride. I thought I was in control. I thought I just needed to keep going with life and, and to keep things together. And so while I wish I could tell you this morning I did the right thing, I didn't do the right thing. Instead, I started buying pain pills off the street and quickly climbed up what's called uh, the opioid ladder. Hydrocodone, oxycodone, oxycontin, morphine, opana. If it was an opioid, I had to have it. In fact, chasing the drug sort of became an addiction in and of itself. That became my number one priority in life. And here's the crazy thing. Like, I had this, this uh, great family, nice house, a growing church, uh, an, an, an interesting ministry, wonderful wife, um, three amazing kids, tons of friends and family, financial security. I mean, if, if an outsider looked at my life, they would say, man, he's got it. The whole American dream thing, right? I had all this going for me, but all of that began to fade as I became completely preoccupied with that drug. My wife would tell you that she knew something was wrong, wasn't quite sure what it was. She thought I was having an affair. And, and in a way, I was. I, I just wasn't having an affair with another woman. I was having an affair with a chemical. And I was just trying to keep everything hidden, everything a secret, because isn't that what we do? We, we become really good at that, don't we? When we have problems and hurts and pains in our lives, we, we become pretty good at just living in denial. And I was trying to keep everything hidden, everything a secret, trying to be a husband, a dad, and a pastor, and a friend, and just keep going because, and I know this sounds crazy, I didn't think I had a problem. <clears throat> After a year of this, things had gotten so bad that I would do anything for more pills, which turned out to be a really bad thing because there came a point where my dealer didn't have any more pills and didn't know when he would be getting any more. And so I started freaking out. Because at this point, I'm just taking these pills to feel normal. So I started freaking out, and at which point he said, man, don't freak out. I got something else for you. Have you ever tried heroin? And of course I hadn't at that point. But I also knew that my pain pills were just a version, had the same chemical compound of heroin. They're opiates, opioids. And so because I was desperate and because I thought I could handle it and because I thought I was in control, I started snorting lines of heroin. And really a combination, using a combination of anything I could get my hands on, whether that was my own prescription or the pills I was buying off the streets or now the lines of heroin. And also the Xanax I was using multiple times every day. And it was at this point, my life went from bad to worse. Every relationship in my life began to deteriorate. 
I was faking it as a pastor. I was a terrible friend. My teeth and my body were in bad shape. Didn't have any kind of fruitful relationship with the Lord. And my, my, my joy for life, which had always been really high, was gone. My life had become unmanageable. On July 26th of 2015, I went to bed. It was a Sunday night, but before I went to bed, I used some heroin. What I didn't know at the time was that my line of heroin was laced with another drug called fentanyl, a drug 50 times more powerful than morphine, and I overdosed. My wife um, was sleeping in our living room that night because she was having some pain in, in, in her neck and was sleeping on the recliner. At 2.30 in the morning, our little eight-pound Yorkie knew something was wrong and went and peed at my wife's feet to wake her up. And she came to the bedroom and found me unresponsive. She called 911, and when the EMTs showed up, they, they administered a dose of Narcan, which is a drug that reverses the effects of an overdose. Unfortunately, it didn't work. And so they gave me a second dose. Thankfully, it began to work, and I began breathing on my own, coming back to life. I was taken to the hospital, and four hours later, I was released to go home. And really, the next few hours and days are sort of a blur in my mind, um, kind of a blur in the minds of my family as well. I mean, this is new territory for us. We'd never dealt with any kind of alcohol abuse or, or drug abuse in, in our past. We didn't know what was going on. I wish you could hear this whole story from their perspective as well. What we did know was that something had to change. This Goliath needed to fall. And it was the first time I finally admitted, you know what, um, maybe I have a problem. Maybe I need some help. Thankfully, help came. Four days after overdosing, I was on my way up to Minnesota to enter a 30-day rehab stint at a place called Hazelden Betty Ford. My parents drove me up there. My dad's is Steve White, the senior minister at Plainfield Christian. He drove me up there, and the last thing I said to my dad before he left was, I can't imagine my life without drugs. And I couldn't. I didn't think I could get better. And by the way, isn't that what one of, the lie, one of the greatest lies of Satan is? He whispers into our hearts and our minds, you can't get better. Life can't get better. You can't overcome. And I didn't think I could. I bought the lie. I didn't think joy could return. I didn't think I could get better. I thought I was too far below the surface. And I want to pause for just a second because I know some of you here this morning in a room this size and with all the viewers watching online, I know in a room this size, there are people looking around at their lives and you're here this morning and you're struggling with this or that and you're thinking, how did I get here? And can I even get better? And I want to tell you right now, before I go any further, that the answer is yes. You can get better and you can find joy again and you can overcome whatever challenge that you're facing, not because you have what it takes, but because we know the one who does. <laughs> Friends, we serve a God who is the master of bro putting broken pieces and broken people back together. 
the one who can reach below the surface and pull us up onto dry land. He can, he will, and he does. For me, I didn't know how my life could go on without drugs. But I'm thankful to share with you today that as of this coming July, I'm now six years clean from my addiction to opiates and benzos. Thank you. And it keeps getting better. It does, it keeps getting better. But before it got a lot better, my story actually got worse. I came home from rehab and started putting my life back together started rebuilding uh, my relationship with, with my wife and kids. My church in Columbus was incredibly gracious. Um, they helped me get to rehab and then they allowed me to come back and start preaching again uh, in, 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 in the same pulpit. Um, and I'll never forget that. But about a year and a half later, I came home from church. It was a Sunday morning. It was actually the Sunday before Christmas. Uh, I came home from church and I realized that our home had been robbed. Some of you may, may have remembered this. It made the, the Indianapolis news. Uh, our home had been robbed. So we called the police and um, called our insurance agent, started the process of dealing with all of that. A few days later, the police called me and informed me that they had reclaimed our belongings, or at least most of our belongings, but wanted me to come and identify them. And so I did, I went down to the police station and sure enough, most of our stuff was there and I thanked them, but I'll never forget what happened next. They, they led me to an interview room and began to read me my Miranda rights. Well, long story short, they found our belongings with that young man that I had purchased those pain pills from a couple years earlier. And his story was that I still owed him a drug debt from years earlier and that I had recruited him to stage a burglary at our home so that I could claim insurance money and pay off the drug debt. And that's fraud. And I can tell you in all honesty this morning, I did a lot of stupid things um, during the time that I was, I was using, but that was not one of them. That part was not true. But in my efforts to convince the cops of that, I did admit to purchasing drugs from him. Well, they did the math and they realized that when I bought those drugs from him, he was underage. He was a minor. And that part is true. And every time I, I get to this part of the story, um, this is the painful part for me. Because I can understand how I got into the drug addiction but, but this part takes it to a different level. This is embarrassing. I'm ashamed that this is part of my story. Um, I know that I was under the influence at the time. I know I was making a lot of poor decisions with my life, but I also know that I misused my position of trust and I negatively influenced that young man. But recovery has taught me um, not to run from my past or to live in denial of my past choices, but to own them and to make amends for them and to commit to doing something better. And so in March of 2017, I was arrested at my home and charged with two felonies, insurance fraud and contributing to the delinquency of a minor for purchasing those pain pills. Of course, I had to resign from my uh, position at the church. We started making plans to move out of Columbus. I began working with a lawyer, trying to figure out what to do and a path forward. 
As the months passed, that insurance fraud charge was dropped, but I did end up pleading guilty to the contributing charge, which is the class C felony in the state of Indiana. The day before my sentencing hearing, six months later, October of 2017, I asked my lawyer what I was facing. And of course, we had been working on that for six months, trying to figure out how to deal with all of this. And I, I continue to ask him, what am I looking at? I know I pleaded guilty to a felony. And he kept telling me that I was only looking at probation and that the incident had happened years ago. I had already gone to rehab. I'd gotten clean. I was living a healthy lifestyle. I was giving back to the community and to society. And so I looked at my lawyer and I, and I said, so you're saying the judge is not gonna send me to prison. And he said, if she does, you'd be the first. Well, I was the first. The judge gave me a sentence of seven years three years in the Indiana Department of Corrections and four years probation. I have a new lawyer today and he tells me I'm the only one in the entire nation that has ever gone to prison for that charge. And I tell you that this morning, not that you'll feel sorry for me, I was in the wrong. He was the victim. I needed to be punished for what I did wrong. I just tell you that to convey my sense and my family's sense of surprise and shock and bewilderment that happened as a result. My lawyer asked the judge at the moment, he said, your, your honor, could, could we have a few days to let him put his affairs in order? I didn't, even say, I didn't even say goodbye to my kids that morning when I left for court. And she said, no, I'm sorry. And I was let out of the courtroom in handcuffs and began serving my sentence. I ended up serving 15 months in the Putnamville Correctional Facility in Greencastle, a level two prison, and was released uh, two years ago this January. And uh, my time in prison is probably the subject of another message. Maybe uh, Matt will let me come back again and share a little bit about that and the lessons learned and the ups and downs of that experience. All I'll say right now about those 15 months is that I never had seen hopelessness until I got to prison. Um, and, I, and I've been all over the world, a lot, a lot of third world countries and seen a lot of different situations, but I had never seen pain and suffering and sadness like I saw in so many of the other guys there and, and hearing about their stories. At the same time, I met some of the most incredible men that I've ever met in prison. Men that taught me so much about life and about dealing with suffering and hardship uh, I, I made friendships that will last uh, the rest of my life. You know, when everything is stripped away from you, both literally and figuratively, you're left to figure out what you want your life to be about moving forward. And there's a great blessing in that in and of itself. I've been home uh, over two years now. I'm so thankful for my life, my family, uh, my health. I'm still in recovery. I lead a, an addiction support group in Mooresville every Monday night for both addicts and alcoholics and their, and their loved ones. Um, still, still on the road to healing, but I have a long way to go. The journey isn't over. I love the words of that John Mayer song. I'm in repair. I'm not together, but I'm getting there. 
I love that. And while I'm no expert on any of this, there are some lessons I've learned along the way that I wanna, I wanna share this morning as we start to wind down. I shared this testimony at the church right where I attend in, in Mooresville, Mount Gilead, about a year and a half ago. And when Jeff Fall, a senior minister at the church, asked me to share, he told me he was doing this series, a Sunday morning sermon series called Life Hacks. Very similar to the one Kingsway's going through with Goliath Must Fall. He called his life hacks and he was gonna talk about different situations, loneliness, anxiety, depression, addiction, different situations in our lives that unexpectedly hack our lives and change us. I like that, 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 that resonated with me. And as I thought about it, there's really just two things I wanna share this morning. The first one is this, I don't know if life hacked me or, or if I hacked my life, but either way, God is in control. And here's what I mean by that. You know, when we, when we, when we go through these ordeals in life, and I know I'm not the only one in this room that has gone through a, a hardship or a struggle this morning, but when we go through them, when they hit, when they hack, one of the first things we do is try to figure out who's responsible, right? Who's to blame? Where can I point the finger? And what I'm saying this morning is, were there factors outside of my control that led me to addiction and incarceration? Yes. Did I do most of the damage myself? Yes. But either way, regardless of who's responsible, God is in control. He still reigns on his throne. Psalm 27 verse one says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You remember who wrote those words? David. King David, yeah. King David wrote that when he was in trouble, when his life had been hacked, but it didn't crush him because he knew ultimately the Lord was his stronghold and would see him through. Look, I know when you're in the midst of it, and again, I know some of you are here this morning right now and you're in the midst of it, you're dealing with an addiction or lust or anger or fear or worry or shame. When you're just barely keeping your head above water, you start to wonder, where is God? Doesn't he hear me? Does he even care? I, I don't feel God. And I would just tell you, you can't always trust your feelings, but you can always count on the truth. And the truth is this, even when you can't feel God, he is on the move and he is still working on our behalf. Revelation chapter one, verse 17 says, then he, that's Jesus, then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. Can't you just feel the strength in that sentence? He says, I am the first in the last, he is in control, friends, through the calm and through the storm. And secondly, if I believe that, if I believe that first part, that he really is in control, then I also have to believe that God can use my pain for good. That somehow in his mysterious plan, he's gonna take my brokenness and your brokenness and do something great with it. And one of the first things God wants to do with our pain and our brokenness and our shared struggle is to bring us closer together. 
Think about it. If you want to get close to someone, you don't go up to that, that person that you want to get close to and say something like, hey, you remember back in high school, I won homecoming king in a landslide? You don't go up to somebody and say, hey, you're, did you know, did you hear the news? I just sold my business and I, I made $5 million. I'm set for the rest of my life. You don't go up to somebody and say, you know, my kids are smarter than your kids. You say something like that to someone, you'll repulse them and they'll, they'll walk away and, and there's, there's division. But if you say something like, you know, I'm struggling with depression lately and I'm having some dark days. If you're honest and you say something like, you know, I really worry about my kids or my grandkids. It's gotten me, it, it has a grip on me. It's keeping me up at night. If you say something like, you know, I'm an addict and I'm still recovering from my time in prison. You say something like that, you're open and you're real and authentic and honest about your struggle. You might think that people will turn away, that you'll be met with rejection. But you know what happens? The opposite actually happens. People are drawn together. And God begins this incredible healing work. Listen, they say that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. And I think you can substitute any struggle, any sin, any addiction, and the opposite of that struggle or that sin is connection. There's where the healing begins. And by the way, isn't God good? <laughs> That not only would he give you and give me talents and abilities and gifts and blessings to, to further his kingdom and to enjoy life, but that he would also use our baggage and our scars and our wounds and even our failures to somehow reflect the kingdom of God in a different way. I mean, isn't God good that he does that? And yet, and yet we shouldn't be surprised because from the beginning of history, God has made it clear that he is on a path to heal and to fix and to restore all things. Amen. And if right now you are in a dark moment and you're struggling yourself or you have a spouse or a child or a parent who's struggling, who's in that dark space, and you don't know where life is going and you feel out of control and like no one understands, I just want you to listen to these words from 1 Peter chapter five. It says this, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Friends, I used to believe that God did his best work on the mountaintop. But now I believe God does his best work in the valley. My name is Justin, and I'm an addict. And you might be too. I mean, in fact, isn't that kind of what sin is? Isn't, isn't, isn't sin just an addiction to doing things our way instead of God's way? So maybe you're addicted to gossip or to, to pleasure or to, to, to food 
or to lust or to greed or to fear or to anger. I mean, in a way, we're all addicts. But that's not all we are. We are also children of God. We are the sheep of his pasture. We are the household of faith. We are brothers and sisters. We are servants of the king, a king who loves us, who has a plan for us, and who has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Friends, no matter where life takes us, he is still the king, and his kingdom never ends. Let's pray. God, we are thankful to be a part of your kingdom, not the kingdom of this world, but the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of your son, Jesus Christ, who takes not only all the good things that we do and, and the, 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 the wonderful ways that we serve and, and bless others, but also even our mess ups and our failures and our addictions and our struggles. And somehow God in your goodness and holiness and righteousness. You take all of that, you bring all of that together and you continue to advance your kingdom. God, we are thankful to be a part of that kingdom and we're thankful to carry your name with us, that name of Jesus, the name in which we pray, amen.